How is everyone doing tonight? All right, First uh, Samuel chapter 9, we're going to continue through the book of Samuel. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer before we do. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening that we have together. Lord, thank you for, Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters, and Lord, everyone that you know, I get to share my life with. It's it's such an honor to be here with these people, to to serve you with them, Lord, to praise you alongside of them. And I thank you for this great privilege. Lord, we, we ask that uh, you would be pleased with our time together tonight, Lord, and that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, each of us, individually and personally, and you would meet us right where we're at. Lord, draw us in closer. And Lord, uh, may we all benefit from having sat at your feet and studied your your word this evening. And Lord, I, I trust that into your hands. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> so, in elementary school, <clears throat> my mom uh, drove me to school every morning. Right, and it was over there. I think it's is it twenty twenty third Street, Valencia Elementary School. Is that on twenty third Street? I believe it is. And uh, right, you grew in this area. Did you go up to that school? You went to that school also. It's a great school. I got suspended numerous times, but <laughs> but uh, every morning. That's that's not that's not this conversation. That's another. Again, that'll be on the Luther Day. So, but my mom drove me every single day, and she dropped me off in front of that school, you know, right up in front where the big gates are. She'd give me a big old fat kiss, and then I'd be out the door and on my way to my class uh, to get in trouble again, no doubt. And uh, all throughout elementary school, this was our daily ritual, right? And and it went on like that uh, for some time. You know, pull up in front of the school, big old fat kiss. Then you're on your way to class. And uh, then something changed, and it wasn't just uh, for me that something changed. It was, it, it's kind of a, a across-the-board change that happens when you get into junior high. As soon as I got there, I realized that, that the kids that get a, a, a sloppy kiss from their mother before they leave for class are decidedly uncool. And so what I began to do is as soon as she would pull up in front of the school, and I went to Pioneer Junior High School. Did you also go to Pioneer Junior High School? It's a good school, all right? That, uh, that woodshop teacher that's like missing a finger, good guy. And, uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's, so we'd pull up in, in front of the school, and, and uh, she would, you know, turn to, to give me a kiss, and I'd already be out the door and running to class. And, and I never told her what I was doing. I just... I uh, thought if I did it this way every single day, she would assume that I was just in a rush and I had a lot on my mind and I didn't have time uh, for the kiss portion of our of our ritual. Um, so I just, I ran and, and but, but it was all completely premeditated. It was meticulously calculated. I knew exactly what I was doing getting out of these kisses so that I could still uh, be cool. But I found out that, that I wasn't. Uh, through the the constant the constant jeers of my friends, you know, because my mom still dropped me off in front of school, so it wasn't enough just to not be kissed by her. 
I, I had to completely disassociate from her. And, and I figured it was, it was time. I was, how old are you in junior high? I was 12, 13. It was time to cut my ties and, and go out on my own, be my own man. And I, I, and I remember, you know, I didn't know how to tell her. But I had to tell her, and at this point there was no there was no skirting the issue. I had to be a man, and so I sat her down. And I remember the conversation vividly. I sat her down at the kitchen table, and uh, and in my uh, prepubescent childlike voice, I remember uh, telling my mom, uh, "Listen, mom, you're humiliating you're humiliating me, right? You're an embarrassment to me, right? It's it's not an accident." that I don't kiss you anymore, right? That's not an accident. I'm not just running away. It's not like I have a lot on my mind, right? It's, it's, it's you. You're an embarrassment. And, uh, and no one else kisses their mother anymore. No one. No one kisses their mother at this stage of our lives. So I don't know why I should have to kiss you, right? And I remember looking at my mom, and, and I remember saying, no one has their mother dropped them off in the school, in front of the school anymore. I don't know why you should have to drop me off in front of the school anymore. Uh, maybe you can still drive me. Right, I'll throw you a bone. You can, still, you can still drive me to school. But if you could just drop me off at the corner, that way I could walk into... And you say, yeah, did you go through this too? Did, is this... <laughs> I, I, I said, you know, just drop me off at the corner, and then I'll walk to school like everyone else. And I remember how puzzled she appeared to be during the course of this conversation. And, and she said, okay, you want me to drive you to school, but not to, not to drop you off in front of the school. And I said, yes. She says, okay, so if I don't drop you off in front of the school, can I still kiss you goodbye at the corner? And I said, no. What are you, crazy? I mean, we're within a block radius of the school. There could still be students there that would see. And, uh, and well, maybe. Okay. Listen, when we pull up, we'll look left and right. And if it's safe, I'll let you kiss me. Right? But let's be honest, it's probably not going to happen. And, and, but first, first, I didn't want to be affectionate with her. And then uh, I didn't want to publicly associate with her. And that's what Israel is saying to God, right? In chapter eight and moving into chapter nine, they say, listen, God, you can still be our God, right? Like I said to my mom, you can still be my mom in appearances, right? We'll go to family gatherings together. We'll shake hands for photo ops, but, but I don't, I don't want to be seen, you know, having this weird relationship with you that other people don't have, with their moms. And Israel's saying, I don't want to be seen with you in this weird relationship that the other nations don't, they don't possess this kind of relationship with their God. I want to be independent from you. I want to put some distance between me and you. Listen, no one has a mother, no one has a God that cares for them like you do. It's absurd, right? How much you care about me, how you're trying to take care of me. All this that I have to put up with, I don't want to put up with this anymore. I just, I just want you to, to, to give me someone that, that I can look to, a go-between between, between uh, us and this awkward relationship that, that we possess. And a good God is punished and put aside, and a nation 
uh, makes their request clear. Listen, we want to be like everybody else. And we can't be like everybody else until you get out of the way, until you get out of the picture. So beginning in chapter 9, God brings this man to the forefront, this man that would make the nation like everyone else in the world. And uh, we're introduced to him beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9 and says, There was a Benjaminite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, sure, the son of Aphi, a Benjaminite. And he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. Maybe your Bible says a handsome young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. That's a great way to describe someone that's tall. You're a head taller than them, uh, like like Cody's a head taller than me, right? Saul, Saul, his name means asked of God. And it's an interesting insight into the character of Saul, the position of Saul in this in this narrative, right? They asked God, the king of kings, for a king. And, and here you are, Saul, asked of God. You asked for it, you got it, here's the guy. And, and he will, he'll not be a king, God would say, like I would choose a king for you, but he is without a doubt the type of king that you would choose for yourselves. He's the type of man that the world would look at and he represents the best of, of our stock, right? He's the type of man that the world would exalt above the shoulders of anybody else, of their of their peers, and it's said that he's a man of good standing, right? This is not a man, and we know the story of Saul, and already we're, we're putting his future uh, in front of his past, and we know where Saul is going to end up, but he's not there yet. This, this man at this point is a good man. The problem is, is that he's not God's man, right? And, and he's... Uh, a great leader, no doubt, because of his ex- experience and affluence, but he's not God's leader. He would be an excellent choice, but he's not God's choice. He was a man that came from money, right? And that's very important if you want to get into politics. It's a good uh, good idea to uh, be born to a wealthy family, right? If you can choose where you're born, be born to that wealthy family, you'll have a future in politics. He was taller uh, than anyone else in all of Israel, right? Which is pretty impressive. And you take a scan of all the thousands of people in Israel, and it's like they're a giant mass. Then you have one head poking up from amongst them because he was head and shoulders above everyone. And so he would be the one head that you would see bobbing around, you know, in the midst of the crowd. And that's Saul. And so, but why would this be an important choice or an important, you know, ideal characteristic for a leader of Israel? Well, who's your main enemy? The Philistines. And they're known for producing giants all throughout scripture. So it's a good idea to get a national leader that is not only rich, but is also quite tall. But, uh, and here's the annoying part about it, is that he's he's rich, he's tall, and on top of everything else, he's handsome. 
<laughs> be nice if he just wasn't that also. But he's he's got it all. I mean, he's the type of guy that you would just love to hate. Right? He's like the valedictorian of my class. Right? In high school, graduating the valedictorian was also the star football player. And that just it annoyed me so much. And... <laughs> And he, he dated the prom queen. He drove a Beamer, you know, because he also came from money. And he had a perfect GPA all four years of high school. And I hated him. I knew him. And he was such a nice guy, too. He's such just a sweetheart of a guy. I just look at him and just, I hate you. You know, a handsome, athletic, rich, brilliant. That's so unfair. It's like... God spent too much time making him and realized that he still had work to do at the latter end of 1983 with making men. And he's like, I better hurry up on that Michael guy, get him out the door. I've already made this guy and he's perfect, you know? <laughs> so everything else is just garbage. Um, but he had, he had everything going for him and so did Saul. Right? Saul is that guy. He has everything going for him. He's the kind of guy that everyone would look to and they would say, man, this is a great guy. This is, this is a nice guy. This is a handsome guy. He's a born leader, dynamic, imposing. This guy is the one. Right? No one could be better than him. And they asked for a king like everyone else around them, like all the other nations. And surely this is the type of man that everyone, all the other nations would choose. Continuing in verse 3, now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. Now this is how we meet Saul in the narrative. And I love it because it's perfect. Here is this perfect guy, you know, this privileged individual. And he's so perfect and he's so privileged that he doesn't even have real problems. Right, and here's these are rich guy problems. Right, and at this time in the nation of Israel, donkeys were a sign of great wealth. Kings had donkeys. The the most uh, affluent and excessively wealthy judges from the book of Judges were said to possess donkeys. And there's these stories in the book of Judges when we went through it where it said, you know, the the judge had a donkey and all of his sons had donkeys. And, and we read that and we think, okay, well, who really cares? And the donkeys, you know, but, but they would read that and they would, they would go, ooh, oh my, donkeys. Because donkeys were something that only rich people had. And, and here is Saul's problem. This is his great life dilemma. A herd of donkeys, right? That unnecessarily large collection of donkeys that we have, uh, you know, that we don't even care to properly fence in. Because, you know, what, what, what is that to us? We'll just go buy more donkeys if these donkeys go missing. Uh, they, they, they're, they're lost. And take one of the servants. Notice it doesn't even say the servant. It says just go get one of those servants, you know, and go look for these uh, donkeys. Right? It'd be like one of us saying some of our Ferraris are coasting down Euclid because we didn't put the brake on and we left the keys in the ignition. And uh, take, take one of the butlers in the manor and go, go get him. And we'd, we'd go, yes, Papa, and we'd be out the door. And these these the hardships, right, of the rich and famous. And so Saul is off to find the donkeys. Now in verse 4, 
So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, through the area around Shalashamah. That is terrible. I'm sorry. But they did not find them. They went on into the district of Sha'alim, but the donkeys were not there. Then they then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but he did not find them. And when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town, there is a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what uh, way to take. And Saul said to the servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God, and what do we have? And the servant answered him again, and look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. And I will give it to the man of God so that he will take us, uh, yeah, so that he will tell us what way to take. And formerly in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. And good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. And as they were going up the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water. They said to them, is the seer here? He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come uh, to our town today for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. And as soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. And afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. And they went up to the town. And as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them on his way up to the high place. <clears throat> what an insight uh, into the character of Saul that we have in this passage. He wasn't a man of, of spiritual stature, you might say. His entire life, he lived only a few miles away from Samuel. Uh, but he, he didn't know who he was. He'd never heard of Samuel. And, uh, you know, Samuel, it's not as, it's not as if he was, he was living under a rock. You know, Samuel was the leader of the nation of Israel. He led them out to battle. He was making sacrifices for them in the tabernacle. Saul was oblivious to his existence, which is interesting to consider, right? And it would have never occurred to him to reach out to God in this situation. We don't see that in Saul. We see that in the servant, Right? And he would just think, well, I'm looking uh, for my donkeys. And what does God have to do with that, let alone one of his prophets? And he probably perceived this to be uh, maybe a, a little preposterous and only agreed or gave consent to this as a last resort before they give up. Right? And I remember being a senior in high school. And this, is, this is kind of a, a nice, nice reminiscing sermon, all kinds of old memories. Um, but I was a senior in high school, and I had been a Christian at that point for two years. And, um, and so I'd enter in, entered into this great season of spiritual maturity. 
and was essentially at this point a titan in the faith. And my, my mom, she was a new believer. She had just become a Christian. Uh, she had gone through two botched surgeries. No, actually, no. yeah, it was. It was two botched surgeries. And, and during her last one, uh, the doctors told her with some degree of certainty that she wouldn't survive, that, that she, was, she was going to die. But she didn't, right? And it took all of that to uh, bring her to her knees, to bring her to the Lord. And, and she had come to know the Lord. And she was, she was zealous like few others that, that I had ever seen during that uh, portion of her life. And, and I was running late on that particular morning before high school. And I hate being late. Uh, it's, it's something that just, uh, it, it, it irritates me like few things do. And, and then this very ugly side of me comes out and, and it's, it's disturbing to consider. And, but I was running late that day, and I was looking for my keys, and I couldn't find them anywhere. And so I was, I was scampering all over the, the house frantically, and, and I started freaking out, going from room to room, just overturning things and grabbing tables and flipping them over and, you know, <laughs> and doing all, just all manner of nonsense. And, 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 and my mood began to shift, and spiritual Michael was, was put aside. It was, it was long past that point. And, and I remember running into the kitchen, and my mom was sitting at the table, uh, reading her Bible, right? And it's it's the morning hours, and, and just there's a glow coming in from the window behind her on her, and she just looks as holy as can possibly be, and I feel as carnal as I can possibly be. And I come, you know, bursting into the room, and I say, you know, Mom, have you seen my keys? And and she just looks up from her Bible, and she says, uh, Sweetie, I, I haven't. Have you tried praying about it? And if you've ever been in that position... Where you were at your most carnal state, and then someone says, "You know, have you tried praying about anything? I don't care what it is. Uh, that that throws you over an edge that you didn't know existed." And and I just remember, you know, going, "You know, Mom, don't. This isn't the time. I'm running late. Don't be weird. Just help me. Just help me find my keys." And, uh, and, and she looked at me, and, and she nodded, and she said, oh, okay, I'm sorry, sweetie, I, I will help you, okay? I'll sit here, and I'll pray that you find your keys. And, and that, was, that was too much. And so I, I ran out of the room just muttering to myself, you know, it would be a lot more help if you actually got up and helped me find my keys and look around for me. But, uh, but you know, I, I ran, you know, around, and I'm already by this point uh, 10 minutes uh, late, and I haven't even left the house yet. So I know it's just going to be another 10 minutes on top of that, and, and it's just uh, bad, bad news. And, and I'm screaming inside my head and just sweating profusely. And, and uh, finally, I break down, and I gave in. I was standing in the middle of my bedroom, you know, in the, in the second story of our house, and I thought, I'll do it. I'll do this silly, stupid thing that my mom uh, told me to do. And, and I closed my eyes and I bowed my head and I said, God, I know you don't care about my car keys, right? I mean, I know you've got, yeah, like a million things going on, right? But I need to find my car keys. Can you help me out? And I just remember opening up my eyes, looking over at my dresser, going over to the third drawer down on the right-hand side, opening up that drawer, and they were right there on top. And I just remember staring at them. And being completely dumbfounded as to why they would be there, 
why I opened up the drawer to find them there. And I just remember feeling like a profound imbecile in that moment. And baffled, I took a deep breath and I ran out the door trying to not make eye contact with my mom because I was so ashamed of myself. Uh, And this is the point of it. God cares about all of our problems. He really does. You know, and all of our problems are an opportunity not only for him to get glory, but for us to gain maturity. Right? They're this wonderful opportunity for God to speak to us personally and specifically, to do a work in our heart uh, individually. And we miss out on so many of those things because we ignore him in our problems. We try to just push through and, and figure out a solution and we pretend like he's not there or we don't need him or this is too insignificant to introduce it to him. And God got the glory and I gained maturity in this lesson that I'll never forget, forget because of car keys because of something that insignificant. And on this day, Saul is going to be introduced to the reality of a deity in his midst that can speak to him individually, personally, wants to meet him specifically because of donkeys. Right? They will, they're going to take this matter to Samuel. They've decided to seek God's counsel. And when they do, we're going to see what happens. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about Samuel. Right? Samuel, uh, there, there's a neat little thing that happens here with him. Because the, the servant suggests him and uh, honors his reputation. Right? He says, there's this man of God. right? There's this man of standing. And Saul might not have known who Samuel was. But the servant did. Right and uh, and and at least he knew enough to know that this is a man that that has the capacity to understand and connect to the the heart and the mind of Almighty God. Right, and that is an incredible testimony for anyone to possess. Where right? you have a problem and you know it, it just the right person to reach out to for the solution. You know, our air conditioner went out not that long ago. And uh, Boo looks at me and I look at her and we go, yeah, I mean, let's call up Mark Lopez, right? Because that's what Mark Lopez does. Right? He's the guy that fixes air conditioners, right? And, uh, and I was uh, writing this blog for work, I remember, a couple of months ago. And, um, and I like to write, but I hate to read what I write after I write it. I don't like to do my own editing. Um, and, and you can call it lazy, I just, I don't like to do it. And uh, I thought I need someone to proofread this. So I was like, well, yeah, of course. You call up Mary, right? And Mary, I sent it right to Mary. She sent it right back to me. And it was it was something different than what I had written because I had made that many mistakes. But it's like, you know, just you know just who to call, right? It's like, you know, you call up her, of course. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife was, uh, she wanted to get this nativity scene made for our front lawn. And uh, we needed to be cut out of plywood. And she's like, we need to get this done. 
uh, call up your dad. Right? Not that I couldn't do it. I'm capable of doing things like that. Right? I don't want you to get some false image of me. I don't have a jigsaw, so I couldn't do it. I, don't, I wasn't adequately equipped to do it, right? But I could have done it. It just would have looked terrible, but I would have done it, right? But this is, this is the problem, right? Whatever it is, and, and you know who to go to uh, for the solution. But what a blessing it is when those uh, that have a need, that, that are in trouble, that are going through some sort of a struggle, know just who to call, which man or God, a man of God or woman of God to, to reach out to. So I need to talk to someone about this struggle that I'm going through, someone who, who isn't going to be uh, judgmental, someone who uh, maybe has gone through this before and can meet me on my level you know, and, and, and meet me as an equal. I need to talk to someone about something of substance. Right, and everyone that I talk to, uh, all they want to talk to talk to me about is is Springer or Maury, and I want to talk to someone about something more than that, and I want to talk to someone about Jesus, and and I know just where to find him or her, where to find uh, hope and relief and salvation, and then they think, well, I'm going to call up Beth. Right, because I know Beth, and and everything I know about her tells me that she would be a good person to talk to right now. Or they think I'm going to call up Alex because I know Alex is a man of God, and he has a reputation for being a man of God, and and they know you, and you are associated for them with Jesus to such a degree that they would look to you for that. That's a wonderful thing that you would be that you would be the destination for wayward travelers to find truth. And that's what they're looking for. And they say, I know where to go to find that. I need to go to Samuel. I need to go to that person. And continuing in verse 15. Now, uh, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him a leader over my people, Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about, and he will govern my people. And I read a really good point on this uh, verse, and and then I began to dig into the Hebrew, and it was even more an interesting insight uh, than than I had anticipated. And I think it's a valuable point on prayer. All right, last chapter ended with Samuel uh, praying about this problem. And if you want to look back at chapter eight, verse twenty-one. First uh, Samuel eight twenty-one says, "When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it." Before the Lord, and that's probably a poor translation of the Hebrew, because the Hebrew is the word debar, right? When it says repeated it before the Lord, and and debar means to converse, it means to have a conversation, right? So everything is crumbling down all around Samuel, and what does he do? He thinks I know exactly what to do. I'll go have a conversation with God, and that's. That's what prayer is. Prayer is essentially a conversation with God. But most of the time, it, when, when we do it, it doesn't look like a conversation. It looks very much so like a monologue. 
All right, we uh, and 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 I, I I sit and I think about this and like if we talked to our friends the way that we pray to God, uh, none of us would probably have any friends left in this world because uh, they would think that we're the most narcissistic people that have ever walked the face of the planet. Right, it, it, because it's it's what we do with with God. We don't have a conversation very often. We we have this kind of monologue discourse with God. And, and you'd think, well, if, I, if I ran up to Linda, let's say, and, and I ran up to Linda and I said, oh, Linda, I love you. You're my best friend. And thank you so much for caring about me and always being there for me. And I really need your help. I really need your advice. I need to hear from you. Thank you for being so wonderful. And then Linda looks at me and she goes, oh, well, great. So you need to, wow, I'm flattered. That's awesome. And uh, so my advice, you need to hear from me. But by the time she's saying all of this, I'm already long gone. Right, and she doesn't hear from me from me uh, for days, for weeks, for months, uh, maybe after that. And then the next time that she sees me, or the next time I choose to talk to her, I've already taken care of whatever it is uh, that I asked her for advice concerning. And 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 she she would look at me and she'd go, "Well, why why did you say you were so grateful? Why did you thank me? I did nothing. You didn't allow me to do anything." You asked for my advice. You left before I could give it to you, right? And 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 uh, it's baffling uh, why you would talk to me like this. Why you would have this relationship with me like this? And and she would do everything that she could, uh, no doubt, from that point on, to avoid me because these short emotional bursts that I unload on her are are just bizarre and taxing. And, but this is what we do to God. We, we, we come to God and, and we say all these wonderful, pleasant things to him. And then we leave before he can have his part in the conversation. But that's what this is. That's, that's what Samuel is doing. He, he, he didn't only speak to God. He allowed an opportunity to be spoken to by God. That's what Debar is all about. He had this conversation with him. And, and we see the other end of this conversation now in verse 15. In verse 15, it says uh, that, that God told him, and the Hebrew is galah. It's a different word. Right? So Samuel debarred God, and then God galahed Samuel. It means to uncover. It means to reveal. Right? He talked to the Lord, and the Lord talked to him, and that's the way that it works. If you want to hear from God, you should be sure that God hears from you, right? And when he does, that you linger for him to whisper in your ear. Because in many of your Bibles, that's exactly how this is translated, that God whispered in the ear of Samuel, right? It's this impression upon his heart. And, And we say things like, I don't know why God doesn't speak to me the way that he seems to speak to everybody else. He seems to guide and give insights to everybody but me and what's wrong with me. And do, it's, do I even have a relationship with him? And, and it, I, it seems like I, I can't connect with him. And it would be like someone saying, why doesn't Brad Pitt ever talk to me? You, you know, and, and I'm, I, I just watched another Brad Pitt movie today. Fascinated by the man, very handsome man. And, and, and it would be like saying, why, why doesn't Brad Pitt ever talk to me? Right? He's always about town, talking to other people, doing good things for other people. Very charitable fellow, that Brad Pitt. And be like, you know, he's, he's doing cool Brad Pitt things all the time that I feel left out of. Um, and just to be in his presence and just to hear his voice would be magnificent. 
but I can't, and I don't. It never happens. And and you might respond by saying, well, Brad Pitt lives in the Hollywood Hills. Hills, right? Not heels. He doesn't live in heels. That'd be magnificent, though. But he lives in the Hollywood Hills, right? And have you ever been to the Hollywood Hills? And you say, yeah, I, I go there from time to time. Uh, okay, well, do you seek out an opportunity to meet with Mr. Pitt? Well, it's like, no, I just drive through, and, and I don't see him. He doesn't jump out and land on my car. So I, I just figured it's never going to happen. I'm never going to hear from him. And but, but, but how long has it been since we've whispered in the ear of God and, and sought him to talk to him, lingered so that we can hear from him? Or are we just passing through with prayer, expecting uh, much from prayer, from prayer, but not investing much uh, in prayer. And listen, if we don't, if we don't linger in prayer, we can expect to receive uh, our investment, and and and, and it's and it's not much. And and, and we, it's a it's a rushed conversation. It's a burst of a conversation. It's it's a great expectation met with a devastating disappointment right every prayer is an opportunity for you to whisper in god's ear and for him to whisper in yours to have this conversation with you where he reveals both himself and his plan for you which is an incredible thing to think about if we don't merely pass through the hills if we stop seek out and the promises that we'll find and and god says to samuel this is the guy he whispers it in samuel's ears you began the conversation i'm going to continue it it's not just you talking to me now i'm talking to you he will be king and we continue in verse 18 saul approached samuel in the gateway and asked would you please tell me where the seer's house is I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for tomorrow you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. And for the, and as for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family and Saul answered but i am not a benjamin or am i not a benjaminite from the smallest tribe of israel and uh, is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of benjamin why do you say such things to me can you imagine being saul right now all right and samuel does this a few times we're actually going to see him do it again in only a few chapters uh, where he skips right over the getting to know you part of the relationship that's essential for most human interaction. He's really bad at that. And he goes right uh, to uh, this absurd level of information. And here's a man that, that just in this ongoing conversation that he has with God, God just keeps on revealing more and more to him. So it, it, enough with formalities. Uh, he meets this guy and, and he says, hey, do you, do you know where the seer is? And, and Samuel uh, just skips right past it and he goes, okay, I'm, I'm that guy. The donkeys you're looking for, they're found. Don't worry about that. And Saul's thinking, I didn't even ask you about the donkeys yet. And you're already telling me 
they're fine. And, 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 but there's no time to interrupt Samuel. And he goes, okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to come with me. We're going to go have this meal. It's going to be great. And I'm going to tell you everything that you don't know about yourself. I'm going to tell you your future because you are the guy that everyone in the nation is looking for right now. So uh, come on, let's go. And I just imagine Saul being completely dumbfounded uh, by by this moment. And let's be honest about why Saul went to talk to Samuel. Why did he go? Why did he go to seek out Samuel? Right, he, he went to talk to this guy to hear about donkeys, right? And then you go to the man of God, and this man of God uh, has the ear of God, and this guy uh, knows the mind and the heart of God. And if you can ask this guy anything, right, you can ask him uh, anything in all the universe, you have this opportunity. Go to this guy. He will tell you what's going on inside God's head, what's going on inside God's heart. Would you go to him and say, okay, God, what is, what is your will? Would you go to this guy and say, how can I serve the Lord? I mean, I think that's, maybe that's what I would ask. And go, what, what, could I, what could I do for God? Maybe you'd go to this, this guy and you'd say, okay, what is the meaning of life? Maybe you'd go to him and you'd say, what, what's the secret to a successful existence? Maybe you'd go to him and you'd say, what is, what's the purpose? What's my purpose? Right, but he didn't care about any of that. He went to this guy that has the mind and the heart of God, and he said, uh, where are my donkeys? That was it. That was the only thing in his head. That was all he really cared about. It was, where are my donkeys? Right, and there's a lot of people like this, right? And that's all that, that Saul wanted to know, and that's all that a lot of people want from God is just take care of this moment in my life, this, maybe this financial moment, this relational uh, moment. Just get me uh, through this maybe insignificant moment just so that I can get back to a comfortable equilibrium in my life. Just tell me where the donkeys are, right? And they only come to God uh, when they have uh, this sort of insignificant rushed issue. I think of uh, the, most people's relationship with God uh, through, through college. And it's, and it's in moments, in flashes, right before midterms and finals. And then everyone is Pentecostal. And, and they come to God and they, their donkeys are missing. And they go, I need, I need to get through this. I need, Lord, hear me, donkeys. And that's all. That's all that's in their head. And that's all that they really care about. And they, they sought, uh, Saul sought the man of God to find out about donkeys. And instead, he was anointed king over all of Israel. I want you to to ponder that for a minute, because this is a wonderful First Corinthians two nine moment. Right? Do you know First Corinthians two nine? If not, you can turn there. <clears throat> right? First Corinthians two nine is a great memory verse. It should be highlighted in all your Bibles. Probably is. <clears throat> right? First Corinthians two nine says, right, "Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the 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 mind." the imagination of, of man, the things that God has prepared for those that he loves. And this is an incredible verse. This is, this is what's happening here in this story, right? So often we seek below what God desires. And all we care about is this base level of donkeys. This is my immediate need and desire. And God would, would have in his heart 
in his mind to do so much more. Right? That's what God really wants to do. And he's looking at us, running around, the humans concerned so much and so often with our donkeys. And he's saying, don't worry about the donkeys. Right? Listen, I don't have donkeys for you. I have kingdoms for you. I have greater things for you than you could ever, ever perceive for yourself. Just forget about these insignificant problems and consider the great weight of this work that I want to begin in and through you. We got to finish. So I'm going to continue in verse 22. And Samuel uh, brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. And so the cook took up the leg with uh, what was on it and set it up in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion. From the time I said, I have invited guests and Saul dined with Samuel that day. And they came down from the high place to the town and Samuel uh, talked with Saul on the roof of his house and they rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready, I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together and they <clears throat> were going down to the edge of the town and Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so, but they stay uh, but you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. And uh, we got a few minutes left, so let's talk about this. I want you to <clears throat> to take a step back with me and consider this whole story from God's vantage point. We're going to look at this whole thing from God's point of view. Samuel is in, uh, is in Zuth, right? And Saul is in Benjamin. Right, but that's that's really insignificant. So let's just put those weird names aside, right? And Saul is in Town X, right? And uh, or Samuel is in Town X, and he needs to anoint a king. And Saul is in Town Y, and he is chosen by God to be that king. But these two people have never met, and most likely they never will, right? Uh, their paths both socially. And their interests, fundamentally, they're different, right? So how does God bring these two people together, right? Because these two people were divinely appointed. God had these two people in mind. He says, I need to bring them together. I preordained it for them to meet, for their paths to intertwine and cross according to my will, right? And how did God do it? Saul woke up one morning. And his dad said, uh, I need you to run an errand for me. And dang donkeys got out. And that was it. And, and it's a, I lost my keys type of moment that I went through. And it's a, we're out of milk type of moment. Right? It's a routine and insignificant moment. And God works through those moments. Right? We wouldn't, we, we shouldn't be surprised to see him work in these moments. Really, we should look for God to work in these moments. Listen, I came to know the Lord because of one of these moments. It was an insignificant 
thing that happened in my life. I was I was in this uh, terrible heavy metal band, and we lost our lead guitar player. And I was like, okay, well, we need to find a new lead guitar player. And that set in order a series of events that led to me coming to the Lord. Right? And and I met Corinne because of one of these moments. Uh, it was raining outside, and I set refuge, or I sought refuge in a in a classroom, and that's where I met her. Right? It was just a insignificant thing that happened. It's just rain. Right? It happens all the time, and we wouldn't have ended up at this church if it wasn't for one of these insignificant weird moments. Right? We got a dog, and. Uh, and we thought, well, he's the perfect dog for us. I was searching online for the perfect breed, and um, they had this this thing that you—it was like a dog diagnostic, and you put in all your preferences. And I put, uh, you know, I, you know, friendly and cuddly and likes humans. Those are all good things. But I took the energy level bar, and I just drug it all the way down to zero. And I was like, I want, I want the laziest dog that could ever exist. Because I don't want to have to do stuff, right? So I don't want a dog that wants to do stuff. And, um, and, and it said bulldog, and that was it. It was like, get a bulldog, because you're lazy. That was what the computer told me. And so I got this, I got this bulldog, and it came to find out you can't teach a bulldog to do anything. I mean, they're just stubborn as can possibly be. And um, so we, we gave Sam a call. And I hadn't talked to Sam in a very long time. And Sam, uh, I'd heard that he was training dogs. He came up to the house. It was one of these, you know, insignificant moments. A dog uh, pooped in our kitchen. That was what brought me to Genesis. And, and it's, but it's set in order this this series of events that led to me, you know, restarting my my friendship with with Sam and seeing that this is the right place uh, for us uh, to be. But this is how God works. God leads us gently through the circumstances of our lives. But here's the thing, right? Although God brought both of these men together, right? Through something as insignificant as donkeys, only Samuel saw it for what it was. And I think that's a very important point to make, right? God did this miraculous thing. I mean, he is in charge of, of heaven and earth and the universe and everything else. And he brings these two people that have to meet in order to progress, you know, his will and, and his story and his narrative, he does it. He does all the work, but only one of them has the capacity to see this moment, to discern this moment for what it is. Saul was face to face with the will of God for his life. He had his nose pressed up against it. He was at the moment to be radically used by God as an instrument for God's glory but he was oblivious to it. And if Samuel wasn't there to draw it out of him, Saul would have gone home. He would have found his donkeys. He would have felt very accomplished and probably quite good about himself. Then he, about himself. And then he would have gone back to living his, you know, uh, rich, tall, handsome life. Right? And you would have never heard about him. You would have never known about him because he would have never done anything outside of being rich, tall, and handsome. Right? Samuel was there to draw out the supernatural origin of this routine situation. And he was able to do it because he maintained a conversation with God. Right? And without that, 
we would let these seemingly insignificant occurrences in our lives slip right through our fingers when God has orchestrated so much to bring us right to this moment. If you're not in that dialogue with God, if you're not having that discourse with God, you miss it. And Samuel saw this moment and he capitalized on it. Right? This isn't this isn't just a mundane moment. This is a God-appointed moment. He recognized it because he was postured towards God. He said, this is it, and he went for it. And without a moment's hesitation to, to do the necessary thing to maybe explain it to Saul, he thrusts both of them forward in the will of God, accepting the plan of God, being diligent in obedience. Right, and next week, uh, we're going to consider the Saul's part in this because it's not all about Samuel and his diligent obedience. And there is this great reluctancy in, in Saul to accept this new position that has been uh, presented to him, set out before him. We'll consider that uh, next week because I think it's a common struggle for many of us. But let's go ahead and conclude our time with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word and the great lessons that we can glean from it. I thank you, God, for the truth, Lord, that that you would not have us to live without. So you put in black and white that we can have this engaging and dynamic conversation with you, that we're not talking into the darkness that you whisper in our ear as we sit before you, as we wait upon you, Lord, you impress upon our heart. Lord, you you bring moments into our sight for us to step into. Lord, and I pray that we wouldn't let any of those things pass by. Lord, that, that we wouldn't be Saul perfectly in your in your will, the opportunity before us to, to leave the donkeys of this world behind and to step into your kingdom business and yet be oblivious to it, have the ability to miss it. I pray, God, that we would take advantage of it, Lord, that we would hear you, Lord, that daily we would meet with you, continue our conversation with you. I thank you, Lord, that you are God that is so good that you want to be uh, associated with us, that you want to be affectionate with us, Lord, because you love us. And I pray that we wouldn't leave you behind, that we wouldn't put distance in between our daily life and our Heavenly Father. Lord, that we would bring you into every moment that we have before us. And I pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Look at that. Perfectly on time. Okay. God bless you.